if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And hour number two is underway on the Bob France Authority. Thanks for joining us at nine minutes after the hour of 10 now. It's the sixth morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord 2019. Coming up in about a half an hour, Bill Federer, author and historian, is going to be joining us to talk about the Spring Freedom Banquet for the Ohio Christian Alliance coming up this Friday. Very much looking forward to that as we continue the, uh, uh, the project. And now we need to raise the funds to get it done. We have all of the approval needed by, uh, Washington. We just now have to raise the funds to get the D-Day prayer added to the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. So that event is coming up on Friday. There's another event coming up in, on uh, Wednesday uh, in the state of Ohio that has brought a very uh, well-respected member of the Trump administration to this state. She is going to be the keynote speaker in Delaware County at the Lincoln-Reagan Day Dinner. She is the daughter-in-law as well as an advisor to the President of the United States, Lara Trump, who joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Laura, very good to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us here in Cleveland. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you being here, and uh, I'm going to give you a chance to talk about that great event coming up at, in uh, Delaware County in Westerville. You're going to be speaking at in a moment. But first, I have to ask you how you're enjoying this Barack Obama-inspired economy. Oh, my gosh. Is it the biggest joke ever? I mean, anybody with any common sense understands exactly why this economy is firing on all cylinders thanks to Donald Trump. It's called rolling back regulations. It's called tax breaks for small businesses, leveling the playing field with trade and and renegotiating bad trade deals so that the U.S. companies are, are on a level playing field with the rest of the world. It's common sense stuff. And guess who did it? Donald Trump, not Barack Obama. I love to hear all the Democrats, though, try to uh, give Obama credit for it. Uh, the, the president that said that 2% growth was the best we could expect in this country. So they'll keep trying to peddle that one, but I think we all know the reality. 
Yeah, you know, and 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 it's not just uh, the economic growth and the three point two percent growth, and and it's not just the lowest unemployment rate, Laura, since nineteen sixty nine. Forty nine years since we have had this low of an unemployment rate. It's the kind of jobs that they declared were not able to be brought back. Manufacturing jobs. We were not going to be able to do that again in this country. That ship has sailed. We are a changing economy, or more of a service sector economy now. And if unless you have a magic wand, President Obama chided your father on his way into office. Uh, you're not bringing those back well take a look at the kind of jobs the kind of jobs that have led to a 3.2 percent wage increase for middle class americans they now have a record high average of 27 dollars and 70 cents an hour this is precisely what bringing manufacturing back look uh, back to the united states economy looks like yeah that's exactly right and they're they're not just trickling back in by the way they are coming back by the hundreds of thousands to this country and it's really the forgotten men and women of America who Donald Trump said, if you vote for me, I will make sure these jobs come back. And you're right. His predecessor said you would have to have the magic wand to bring them back. Obviously, this president has it, and he's using it to benefit everybody in this country. Um, not to mention, he's a champion of apprenticeships. You know, this is something that has sort of been a lost art in this country. Uh, programs that say that you don't have to go to a four-year college. You can do on-the-job training and move up through the ranks. Uh, and it's something that, that's really benefiting the manufacturing workers primarily across this country. Um, so, I, I again, I love to hear... The Democrats try to take any sort of credit for this. They're desperate for anything, by the way, to try and make this president look bad because they know that he's doing a great job. And I think they know it's going to be pretty tough in 2020 to beat him. But um, I don't think it's lost on anybody that, that the economy started turning back around. These jobs started coming back and it started happening under the Trump administration and the Trump presidency, not the Obama administration. There's no question about that. We're talking to Laura Trump, who is the wife of Eric Trump, of course, making her the daughter-in-law of the president of the United States. By the way, congratulations. I did see last month uh, Eric's uh, tweet that you are expecting another addition to the family this summer sometime, correct? Thank you. Yes. In August, we're going to be uh, expanding our family Two dogs and one one baby now, so we'll have a second baby so we can even it out. And I told my husband that just means we've got to get another dog because I need one more dog with kids <laughs> in our in our apartment. So, <laughs> well, congratulations to you. Really congratulations to you both. That's wonderful. Um, you know, it's funny when you say that it, they know they being the Democrats how difficult it's going to be to defeat your father with an economy that is this strong. Under normal circumstances, I would agree with that. In fact, in recent American history, uh, an incumbent president. Uh, that is enjoying a strong, vibrant economy is a, almost a shoe-in uh, for re-election to get a second term. Your father's poll numbers, and I know we, we know what poll numbers mean. We saw how wrong those were you know, back in 2016. But your father's situation is a little different because no American president has had to deal, while the economy is as strong, with the opposition that he is facing. And I'm talking, of course, about the fact that, first of all, the Mueller probe even existed. Second of all, the fact that it finally wrapped with two years and $25 million dollars of investigations later proving no collusion and no obstruction that is provable as well and they won't let that go they're going to spend the next 18 months lara trying to continue the narrative that your father-in-law the president of the united states was a russian agent and that he tried to obstruct justice in order to cover that up (laughs) well it's so laughable first of all 
like Donald Trump would need anything from Russia. Like he would need to be a Russian agent. Are these people kidding me? Um, for all of us, it's been incredibly frustrating just to, to hear this narrative continue throughout the mainstream media and, and especially on the left because in 2016, we were so incredibly proud of our campaign and, and really how we knew we were doing everything the right way. And we knew that the other side was, for the most part, not doing things the right way. You saw how Bernie Sanders had everything ripped away from him and, and Hillary Clinton somehow became the non- nominee, despite the fact that it, it looks like it was probably closer than, than it really was between the two of them. Um, but we really prided ourselves on the fact that we didn't raise the same amount of money as the Clinton campaign. She had way more money than we did, but we knew we had the American people behind us. And we were so proud of that and that we had done things by the book and the right way. And then for this idea that we colluded with Russia to come out, we all found incredibly frustrating and, quite frankly, hurtful um, in a certain way. And, and finally, we get to the end of it. The, the Mueller report comes out. It proves that there was no collusion with Russia, like we all have known from day one. And they won't accept it because they know that that is all they have to go against this president on. They can't beat him on the economy. They can't beat him on jobs. They can't beat him on unemployment. They can't beat him on on the way he's dealt with everything around the world, whether it's from moving the American embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, like every president promised before him but none delivered on, or having multiple talks with Kim Jong-un of North Korea to possibly denuclearize the Korean Peninsula. They know they can't beat him, so they have to keep this idea going that he did something wrong or our campaign did something wrong, and it's all nonsense. I think the American people are so tired of it, but to your point, Bob, this is a president who has accomplished all these incredible things despite the fact that he has had the Mueller investigation against him, despite the fact that the Democrats obstruct him at every single turn and try to stop every positive thing that he has done for this country from happening. And it's kind of incredible when you look at it, two and a half years into his presidency, what he's achieved, and to see the obstacles he's had to face at every single turn. Obviously, we're so proud of him. I knew he would be a great president. He's even surpassed my expectations as someone who's known him for a very long time. Um, And I expect to see even greater things out of him in his second term in office, because we all know he's got to be in there for two terms. Lara Trump is our guest. She is the daughter-in-law of the President of the United States, of course. Uh, and and Lara, you're a campaign advisor. You were a campaign advisor in 2016. I assume you're going to play that same role in this re-election bid? I should hope so. I mean, my it, it, it'll be different. I, I will say that. In okay. 2016, listen, no, nobody gives you uh, a playbook of exactly how to run a campaign. We were all very green. We all kind of learned on the fly, and um, certainly it will be different. But, yes, I, I will be traveling the country. I look forward to talking to people this time around to hear how their lives have been changed by Donald Trump, not just about how excited they are to vote for him. And so many of those people were first-time voters, and, you know, they were in their 70s or 80s, you know, war veterans, um, people who were Democrats their whole life who switched over to vote for this president. Um, So I am very much looking forward to it. I hope to play as big a role, if not bigger, the second go round. Um, But but we're all excited. We're ready to go. I I think we'll all sit back with our popcorn and watch these primary debates between the Democrats and see who Al Bernie's one another. But we're ready to roll. I'm glad you brought that. That was going to be my question leading into it as uh, as far as what your role in the campaign is going to be, because I wanted to find out who you feel like 
would be the best or or maybe if you want to answer both the best and maybe you know the the most challenging opponent to come out of this thing because bernie you pointed out looked like maybe he could have gotten the nomination before the little bit of democratic chicanery and super delegates and tilted debates on cnn later uh hillary clinton gets it is bernie the biggest threat do you think as far as the democrats go or is it uh, maybe former vice president joe biden or one of these uber leftists who are grabbing on board the green new deal uh, ideals of uh, of young Alexandria Kelly Bundy, I mean, uh, Ocasio Cortez. I'm sorry, <laughs> well, I call her Kelly Bundy all, because that's what she reminds me of. But anyway, please. <laughs> no, first of all, I will say that that we are not worried about about anyone that we have truly seen get in this this race on the Democrat end. Um, I think probably the greatest hope that the Democrats have is somewhere between a Bernie Sanders and a Joe Biden. I mean, the the reality is when if Bernie Sanders becomes their nominee, then it. it to me, a very easy win because you're running against someone who's promoting socialism in the United States of America, and you don't have to look very far to see why that doesn't work. You look to countries who have implemented socialism, the USSR, China, Cuba, and most recently Venezuela, where people are starving to death. They're getting run over by tanks in the street. The average person has lost 24 pounds in that country, and 90% of the country is living below the poverty zone. That is not something that the average American, I think, can get behind. And whenever you propose what we have now, the booming economy and all the hope that people have for the future of this country, thanks to this president, versus the alternative, which is something along the lines of Venezuela, I think that it's a very easy win. Now, on the other hand, you do have Joe Biden, who I think is probably... Uh, among the most moderate of them, and that's really saying quite a bit because, I mean, Joe Biden has championed some some pretty crazy policies in the past. Um, and, and you look at him, he had eight years under the Obama administration to make any great changes in this country. He's from the, the, the state of Pennsylvania, which he hopes will help him win that state. Meanwhile, what we were just talking about at the beginning of this interview, the fact that that state, among many others, was one that they told that Barack Obama and Joe Biden said the jobs are never coming back. Move on. The manufacturing jobs aren't coming back to this country. Pennsylvania arguably has benefited among the most of any state from all of these manufacturing jobs coming back. So whomever the opponent, we are not that concerned. I I think the president actually said in in one of his speeches recently that he kind of wished that he hadn't given Elizabeth Warren the moniker of Pocahontas because maybe she would have been the easiest to beat, but she's already kind of out based on what the president says. Um, So we're whomever, we're ready to go, we're ready to fight. Um, And I think the people of this country understand why great changes have happened, and they've all happened thanks to this president. I think they're going to want to see him continue. I certainly hope so. Laura Trump is our guest. Uh, she is the daughter-in-law of President Trump. And now you're going to be the keynote speaker, I understand, at the Lincoln-Reagan dinner coming up on Wednesday in Westerville. Can you give us a little preview of that? Yeah, well, I'm really excited. Very honored to to be there. It will be uh, in the evening on Wednesday and um, at the Renaissance Westerville Hotel and listen, we're going to talk about why this president has done a great job and, and what we expect from him in the future. And quite frankly, how we've got to deal with these Democrats going forward for the next, you know, little bit here, next number of months uh, before we get to the, the 2020 election. Um, but it's going to be a great evening. And I, I'm, I think 
that you could probably still come if you wanted to. And um, my dad is actually from Ohio. My dad grew up in Westlake, Ohio, and I still have family there. So um, I love being in Ohio whenever I get the opportunity, and I was very honored to uh, to come and speak at this event uh, coming up on Wednesday. I did not know your father was from Westlake. That is, of course, yes. right here in our backyard. That's, uh, that's wonderful. That's fantastic. And uh, it's great to know that you have such great ties to the Buckeye State. Laura, thank you so much. I know it's going to be a great event on uh, on Wednesday. And if anybody is interested in going on down there and getting uh, tickets or a table at that event, I think uh, the opportunity is still there. You just have to go to DelawareGOP.org, DelawareGOP, because this is Delaware County, DelawareGOP.org, if you'd like to go listen to Laura Trump and shake hands and uh, uh, and exchange ideas with fellow like-minded uh, American patriots. Laura Trump, thank you so much for coming on today. Again, congratulations on uh, the impending birth of your second child uh, uh, this summer, and we really appreciate you being with us this morning. Absolutely. Thank you so much, and I will see everybody on Wednesday. Thank you. God bless. That's uh, Laura Trump. She is the uh, daughter-in-law of the President of the United States, uh, and her father-in-law is doing some tremendous... How about her, her dad? I didn't realize that. It's from Westlake, so there's a, an even better local tie here uh, to uh, to Northeast Rome. All right, it's 1024. We'll get a quick time out now. We'll come right back. Maybe squeeze a call in or two here before the bottom of the hour. And a reminder, after the bottom of the hour, Bill Federer, author and historian, who is going to tell us all about the D-Day prayer that we are trying to add to the uh, World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. He will be in attendance with us on Friday uh, at the Akron uh, 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 Fairlawn Hilton as we uh, have the Spring Freedom Banquet. I will be emceeing that, hosted by Chris Long's uh, Ohio Christian Alliance. So we'll talk to Bill Federer coming up a little bit later on as well. Right here as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Very short segment here as it's already 1029, but we'll squeeze in Joe in Bratnall on AM 1420, yeah, The Answer. Wow. Joe, go right ahead. You're you're entitled to your own opinion, but not your own facts. The economy didn't. That's our line, it. actually. Yeah, no, 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 that, no. That's not your line. That's Daniel Daniel Patrick Moynihan's line. And that's, that's Ben Shapiro's line, as far as I'm concerned. But the, uh, anyway, what are we talking about? Okay, what we're talking about is this idea that President Obama didn't figure tremendously in the recovery. He most certainly did. Only a person who hasn't looked at the numbers or a person with an incredible political agenda, you would fit the latter, would say otherwise. Um, all I can tell you is that Barack Obama was given an opportunity to gain, to get, to, uh, to rebuild this economy and to achieve a 3% GDP growth. He never did it in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. He didn't do it for eight years. Never had one year of 3% growth. President Trump has exceeded that already in two and a half years. Um, the, the, just look at every economic indicator under Barack Obama. Every economic indicator. Highest number of food stamp usage in American history. Lowest workforce participation rate in American history. People gave up. Wage decline, wages declined rather than rose. Manufacturing jobs exited this country and he declared they're gone for good. They can never come back. How can you sit here and say that Barack Obama did something to help build this economy to where it is when what he did was hold it back from its natural growth from recession? It's supposed to rebound from recession at a far faster rate than it did under him. His policies held it back. President Trump came in, 
threw every Obama economic policy out the window, deregulated all of these businesses, brought manufacturing back, cut better trade deals, and boom, look at where we are. My friend, oh, by the way, maybe I will give you Moynihan for that uh, uh, statement. You said uh, entitled to your facts or your own opinions, not your facts. My, my, my mistake. Uh, Shapiro's was facts don't care about your feelings. That's what it was. So they're kind of similar, but uh, Shapiro's is the one that I was going with. All right, thanks for the call. Incorrect as it was. Uh, Bill Federer going to be joining us next right here on AM 1420 The Answer. Ten thirty-five as we continue this Monday edition. Of the Bob France Authority. Phone line still open at 216 You can tweet or Facebook comment to the program, of course, at uh, France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, all one word, no spaces, no underscores. Thanks again to Laura Trump for joining us, talking about the uh, Lincoln-Reagan dinner that, that she is going to be attending on, uh, and keynote speaking at, I should uh, point out as well, on Wednesday. But I want to move past that to... Later in the week, coming up this Friday, if you heard Chris Long with uh, uh, with me on the program last week, Pastor Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance, we're talking about the Spring Freedom Banquet for the uh, OCA. It is going to be Friday down at the uh, Akron Fairlawn Hilton in Akron, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fantastic event. I've been asked to MC it, and I'm looking forward to doing that. And I'm going to be welcoming some wonderful people, including um, Congressman Bill Johnson, who is the original sponsor of the bill to add the D-Day prayer to the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. We're also going to get a video presentation from Senator Rob Portman, who was the Senate sponsor of that bill. And we're going to get a great lesson from author and historian Bill Federer, who is going to be on hand to talk about the prayer, uh, the prayers, plural, of World War II, but particularly the D-Day Prayer Project. Uh, he has been working very closely with Chris Long on this from the very beginning, and we are now privileged to have Mr. Federer on the program to give us a little preview of what that's going to be like here on AM 1420, The Answer. Bill, thank you so much for coming on. Good, sir. How are you? Bob, great to be with you. Good to talk to you. I uh, I, I got to tell you, I'm so excited about the event coming up on Friday. Uh, the D-Day prayer being added to the World War II Memorial has been a long labor of love. It's been many years, actually, in the, uh, uh, in the works, uh, almost since the memorial itself was built. Why is this project so important to you, Bill? Well, my uncle uh, fought in World War II and died over the English Channel. And then I had another uncle uh, that I was named after, and he fought in Okinawa. But these are men that had deep faith, and when the World War II Memorial was built, uh, there was not one mention of God. Uh, Now, there's mention of God on the Lincoln Memorial, on the Jefferson Memorial. There are actually five quotes from Thomas Jefferson. Four of them mention God. Um, and the FDR Memorial, there are all these mentions of faith, and Jesus, World War II, one didn't. A lot of the veterans that went up there to see the memorial and had contributed to building it were disappointed. And so Chris Long uh, took up the torch, and uh, as you mentioned, got uh, Congressman Johnson and Senator Portman to uh, be able to introduce this, and it passed. And now it needs to be funded privately because uh, the you know, federal government doesn't want to give money to anything that mentions God. But nevertheless, um, the opportunity is there for citizens to contribute to this project. And uh, a little bit of a background for those not familiar, uh, the National Socialist Workers Party, 
that was led by Hitler, uh, was conquering almost all of Europe. And uh, it looked like they were going to take Britain. Uh, they made uh, treaties with the Ottoman Empire, and uh, they were uh, very aggressive, and made treaties with Imperial Japan. And it was really just America and Britain with other allies that took a stand. And uh, if you like, I can give a little bit of the history leading up to the deal. Please, please, yes, that's exactly what I would love to hear. And and so as they're conquering, uh, we have our nation planning. It's the the largest invasion, uh, amphibious invasion uh, in in history. Uh, 160,000 troops landing on a 50-mile stretch of a heavily fortified beach. Uh, There were, uh, in the speech that Roosevelt gives, the night before, he talks about uh, previous historical invasions of Italy, and he's sort of letting the uh, the Axis powers that are listening in think that America is going to land in Italy, and they actually had mock uh, landings. And I was uh, talking to some uh, soldiers that had been there. They actually set up speakers in the woods that made sounds like tanks and things moving around, um, but. Evidently, uh, that was just a diversion for the real attack that happened at Normandy. You couldn't do it today because with satellites and uh, you know drones and, and things they can spy, but back then they didn't have that. So 5,000 ships, 13,000 aircraft. Uh, the beaches are Omaha, Utah, Gold, Juno, Sword, Point du Hoc, and uh, over 9,000 soldiers uh, were killed or wounded um, at that time, and Pilots that flew over the beach saw red in the waters. and um, But Dwight Eisenhower was the Supreme Allied Commander, and he uh, gave an order to his troops before D-Day. He says, you are, you are about to embark on a great crusade. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. You will bring about the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, hard, well-equipped, battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. Let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. And again, there's the reference to faith. Um, And so we see even FDR, a couple years earlier, 1941, gave out Gideon's New Testament and Book of Psalms to all the soldiers that fought in World War II. And uh, people think, gee, the the president handing out New Testaments and Book of Psalms. And uh, and in the foreword, he writes, as commander-in-chief, I take pleasure in commending the reading of the Bible to all who served in the armed forces of the United States. Well, um, so Franklin Roosevelt, on D-Day, June 6, 1944, uh, he gives his speech. My fellow Americans, last night I spoke with you. I knew at that moment that the troops of the United States and our allies were crossing the channel in another and greater operation. I ask you to join with me in prayer. And then he goes on with this prayer. This is the prayer that uh, Chris Long and uh, Congressman Johnson and Senator Portman have gotten uh, permission to raise the funds to put this up. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization. And just a pause there. I think uh, a republic is where the people are king, ruling through representatives. Uh, We pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which it stands. We're basically pledging allegiance to us being in charge of ourselves. 
instead of some bureaucratic government dictator dictating to us, we get to decide. The word citizen is Greek. It means co-king. We're all citizens of America. We're all co-kings. We're pledging allegiance to us being in charge of ourselves. So uh, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion. So at the time, 98% of the country was Christian, about 2% Jewish. And um, and so FDR, uh, the fact that he uh, gave out Gideon's New Testaments and Book of Psalms, uh, there were orders uh, that even Truman had that all soldiers had to attend one of three services, uh, the, the Catholic Mass, the Protestant service, or the Jewish synagogue. Uh, the, the student, the uh, soldiers that went through the Air Force Academy and the and the West Point, they had the choice of going to the Catholic service, the Protestant service, or the Jewish synagogue. So it was a Judeo-Christian country. And so when he says the struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, he's talking about biblical faith and a struggle to preserve our civilization. We don't think much of that, but what's he talking about? He's talking about Western civilization, which goes back to uh, this representative government that Greece and Rome had, but also ancient Israel this idea of the individual. Whenever you get a dictator, the individual disappears. All that matters is the state, and your life is only of worth if you can contribute to the state, to the group. If you're a burden on the state or the group, uh, you're voted off the island. Uh, Your worth is diminished. Uh, Western civilization says you're worth something because you're made in the image of God, book of Genesis. So anyway, in his prayer, he continues, uh, FDR gives strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessing. Their road will be long and hard. The enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces. We know that by thy grace and the righteousness of our cause, our sons will triumph. Some will never return. Embrace these, Father, and receive them, thy heroic servants, into thy kingdom. Help us, Almighty God, to rededicate ourselves in renewed faith in thee in this hour of great sacrifice. I ask that our people devote themselves in a continuance in prayer. We rise each uh, new day again, and each day is spent. Let the words of prayer be on our lips, invoking thy help to our efforts. Give strength, and, O oh Lord, give us faith. Give us faith in thee, and with thy blessing we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy and a peace that will let all men live in freedom, reaping the just reward of their honest toil. Thy will be done, Almighty God. Amen. So that's the D-Day prayer. And um, uh, he's calling our country to faith, calling our country to pray. And in uh, today's era of political correctness, that would seem so strange, but this was just 70 years ago. Democrat President Franklin Roosevelt, he was elected president four times. Right. They actually passed the 22nd Amendment afterwards, limiting him to only limiting future presidents to two terms. But he was a very popular president, and he's calling for prayer. And But then another little part of the story is that Eisenhower, right after that, calls for prayer. And I don't know how much time I've got, uh, if I can share that story. We're okay. We've got about three minutes left, and I do want to ask you a follow-up question, but go right ahead. So anyway, they land the troops, and they're pushing the Nazis back, back, back. And then in December of that year, 1944, the Nazis are running out of gas, and they want to make a last-ditch effort to make it to the coast, to Antwerp, Holland, to the coast, thinking that they can get gas. And so they do this blitzkrieg. And uh, 
we have these American troops that are what? They're pushing back. Well, all of a sudden, there's this bulge in the line. If you were to draw a map down the center of Europe, and the uh, the American troops are caught behind enemy lines. One of them is the 101st Airborne. And when the Nazis send a message to General Anthony McAuliffe that he's surrounded, his response was, nuts. <laughs> and so they take that to the Nazi commander. Anyway, um, so coming to the rescue is Patton, General George Patton. And he has the Third Army, but he's pinned down because the, the sky is so bad <clears throat> with clouds and rain. And so he has this chaplain, James O'Neill, compose a prayer. And they print it on a quarter of a million index cards, and they distribute it to the Army. They pray the prayer. The next day, the sky clears, and they're able to come to the rescue of the 101st Airborne, and <clears throat> the Nazis run out of gas. I actually talked to a soldier who had been there, and these tanks are grinding, and all of a sudden, they go silent. And then the lid opens, clunk, and then the guy climbs out. There's all these tanks that are just stopped there, and the Nazis have to retreat until April of that year. The war is over. But uh, just this, this fact that they, here we have General Patton uh, passing out a card for his Third Army to pray, and uh, President um, FDR, and then even um, uh, Eisenhower uh, having acknowledgments of faith. It's important for us to remember that and uh, to gain faith for our challenges today. Bill Federer is uh, is our guest. Wow, what in what a, what a wonderful history lesson already, particularly about the D Day prayer, and that just gives you a little bit of a taste of what's going to be happening on Friday at the Spring Freedom Banquet. Uh, Bill Federer, of course, is a best selling author, a nationally known speaker. You probably have heard his American Minute radio features. It's one of the best things going. Bill, I have to ask you this because everything that you just described when you talked about the belief in prayer, the belief in God, the belief in, in the Almighty protecting our sons, uh, you know, who went to, to, to liberate Europe and, and obviously stop the advancement of, uh, of the Nazi regime and so on and so forth. Yet you pointed out earlier in our conversation that we have to raise these funds to put the D-Day prayer on the World War II Memorial privately because, well, we certainly can't, uh, have, uh, Congress appropriating any, appropriating any funds for something mentioning God today. That's that's the that's the issue here, isn't it? I mean, in seventy years, how did we get here to from the point where our government, our 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 our, our most cherished leaders, the the president of the United States, and of course the Allied commander, and all the rest, everybody looking to God and saying, "God save us, God save our sons, God protect them, God give them the strength uh, in the face of this horrible danger, and 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 bless them for what they're about to do." We went from being a nation of God back then. Seventy years later, we can't put a dollar uh, to 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 you know of, of public dollars to something that's going to reference God. What does that say about where we've gone as a nation? Well, it, uh, it's very troubling. And um, by the way, if somebody wants to contribute, they can go to ohioca.org, ohioca.org, and they can get the information on the banquet and how to help contribute to this. Um, if you think of the spectrum of power, one side's total government, the other side's no government. Total government, you have a king, a dictator, a fuhrer, and he rules through fear. The other side is no government. That would be anarchy, unless each person is taught the law. Um, in ancient Israel, the, the Levites were the, uh, it's like everybody has a behavioral app on their iPhone. Instead of a GPS telling you where to turn, it's this law that tells you how to act. And the Levites were the computer geeks that help you to download this app, so to speak. But why would you follow it? Well, ancient Israel introduced the key ingredient. There's a God who's watching everyone. He wants you to be fair, and he's going to hold you accountable in the future. So you're about to steal. Nobody's around. And then you realize God is watching me. He wants me to be fair. He's going to hold me accountable. Maybe I should hesitate 
feeling. And it creates something in your head called a conscience. If everybody in the country believes this, you can maintain complete order with no police. But if you get rid of this God, all you got is a bunch of rules that some men made up. Why follow them? Some will, some won't. And those that won't are going to yield to their selfish side. Rob, steal, kill, ambush, policemen, kill classmates. It's going to turn into chaos. And everybody's going to say, we need someone to come in with enough power to restore order. And the rubber band stamps back and you got a king. And so our form of government without a king is dependent on the people being taught the law and they're accountable to God who's everywhere and watching him and wants him to be fair. Bill Federer will be one of the speakers uh, on Friday at the event that he just referenced and uh, the place you can find the information, which Bill also shared, again, is ohioca.org. That is the website for the Ohio Christian Alliance, Pastor Chris Long, putting together a fantastic event. Bill Johnson, uh, Congressman Johnson, uh, Senator Portman will speak by way of video, uh, and Bill Federer will be, will be on hand to tell us more about what he just gave us. He just kind of scratched the surface, really, of the importance and the meaning uh, behind the D-Day prayer that we are in endeavoring to raise funds, private funds, to add to the World War II Memorial. So the Spring Freedom Banquet is at the Akron Fairlawn Hilton in Akron. Dinner starts at 7 o'clock. There's a reception at 6 o'clock. Come and talk to Bill and all of the other dignitaries. They're going to be on hand. Bill, I really look forward to seeing you there. I thank you so much for kind of whetting our appetite with a little bit of what we're going to get on Friday here on the program this morning. Well, Bob, this is a real historic opportunity for us to participate in something that is such a noble endeavor. I look forward to being there with you, Bob, and with those in the listening audience. And again, ohioca.org for more info. Wonderful. Thank you, Bill. I'll see you on Friday. Bill Federer joining us here on AM 1420. The answer, it's 1052. We'll get a quick time out here, a final time out, and try to come back in with a phone call or two before we're done on AM 1420. The answer. WHKRadio.com is where to find the Bob France Authority podcast. All right, 1055, final segment of the broadcast uh, this morning. Really, really good stuff today from Laura Trump and from Bill Federer. Let's wrap it up with a couple of good phone calls as well, if I can make my screen work here. Apologies. Maury has been waiting in Beechwood. You are on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Maury. Good morning, Bob. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay. Here's my, 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 my issue. I've been bothered by this, and I haven't heard too many people talk about this. Okay, what's I think, that? I think the Mueller investigation and the Democrats, what they're doing is criminal. The fact that I think Mueller knew early on in the investigation that there was no collusion pretty much kind of precluded the president from actually discussing any issues that are affecting the world with, uh, with Russia, such as the issue with Syria, Venezuela, and other areas. Mm-hmm. And, and only because he was afraid or concerned that he may be perceived again as colluding with Russia. So the fact, I think that eliminated or precluded him from any discussion that could prevent uh, potential conflict. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I, I think you're right in, in the effect that it has, uh, Mari. I, I don't know if that is, was necessarily the goal of it, but it's a pretty important, important and, and debilitating, quite frankly, side effect of that, uh, not being able to communicate. Look, every president has had either a working or a friendly, I shouldn't say friendly, a working relationship with, uh, other world leaders, even if those relationships are, 
compromised a bit by the adversarial relationship between our countries. You have to be able to communicate. We don't agree with, you know, with Angela Merkel in Germany very much on everything. We don't agree uh, with with a lot of world leaders, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, international efforts, as as the caller just pointed out. We ought to be able to talk with world leaders about what's going on in, on in Venezuela, especially did Venezuela's dictator Maduro uh, uh, stop and get out of the jet that he was in to leave, to flee Caracas because of a call from Putin? Did Putin encourage that to continue? And that chaos, which threatens so many people, and it obviously threatens internationally as well, international did he do that? I think President Trump ought to be able to have a phone call and a conversation and some sort of a diplomatic relationship with Putin. And the fact that they, of course, want to paint him as an agent of Putin, I saw what you saw. As soon as that conversation happened last week and it was reported, what did you see online? Every Democrat saying, Trump checking in with the boss to see if he's doing a good job. So it definitely has the impact that you're talking about. I appreciate that, Maury. John in Cleveland, I got 30 seconds. Go ahead, John. Good morning. You were asking, how did we get here? Yeah. And let me, I can't even walk in the shadows of Elie Wiesel or Santa Ana. History repeats itself. You take the enable things and watch side and sitting on the sideline, you're just as guilty. What is happening is we know more about how to go to court to find out which team is winning. Intrinsic worth is exchanged for retag sale. Right now, maximum security horse is taking the headline international security, and a bipartisan bill, Gorbachev and Langford is. John, I've, John, I've got to end it there only because I'm out of time. I do appreciate your phone call. Call me earlier tomorrow. We'll get you on so you can talk a little bit more. Thanks. Have a great day, everyone. Bye bye. Enjoy the silence.